0: If you don't already have the app on your smartphone or tablet, download it now from vision.org.au slash app. Vision.org.au slash app. Vision. Audio on demand from Vision Christian Media Today, today, today with Jeff Vines. Hello and welcome. My name is Bill. Thanks for joining me. Renovations, they're usually a difficult process. Pastor Jeff says the same is true for this series Renovations of the Heart. So be warned. He says these messages might be a bit frustrating, they might challenge you and really make you think. Today, Pastor Jeff shares from Romans chapter 7. Plus, he uses the example of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde to unpack the struggles we have with our selfish nature versus our desire to live a life that pleases God. Let's get into it now. Here's Pastor Jeff.
1: I want you to turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 7 to verse 14, Romans 7, 14. This is one of those series, man, that you have to do. Uh, It's important that you do as a pastor and as a church. If I just stand up every weekend and tell you uh, things that you already know in a different way, you're going to get bored after a while. And also you're not going to grow and you're not going to be stretched. I'm really hoping in this series, and, and I don't say this often, but I'm really hoping in this series that you get a little frustrated with me. That you actually say, man, what? That's a good thing for you to say, what? Because that tells me that you're really trying to focus and grapple with this. This isn't an easy thing. Uh, this whole topic is quite difficult. And it's going to be convicting sometimes. And you're going to think, man, I got to really think about that, Pastor Jeff. And sometimes it's going to be confusing. Wow, I don't, what does that have to do? And how does it all work together? That's good for you. It's good that I just don't stand up and just dispense information to you and tell you stories and jokes and make you laugh. Sooner or later, all of us, we got to kind of go down to the next level and say, man, okay, what is this? At the core, what is this? What is the teaching of scripture? We, we believe the Bible is the word of God. We believe that God has revealed himself to us through scripture. And we also believe that as we look at scripture, that the spirit of God inspired that scripture to speak into our lives so that we would know the manner in which we should live. And so my job is to come out here on the weekends, having studied the scripture diligently and praying through it, and then coming and speaking in a real way. Now let's be careful how we say this. I, I am not. Uh, uh, I am not. Let's say infallible. I am. The, this is the problem with a guy preaching scripture. While the scripture may be, I'm not. And so the way I communicate it may not always be the way that really speaks to you. So I'm praying that the Spirit of God speaks to you and really does a number on you during this series. I'm hoping to say, man, I, I, I'm hoping that you won't fight whatever the Spirit leads you. and, And you'll say, you know what? Okay, I got that. Now I've got to make changes. That's what I'm hoping. So I want to start by asking you a simple question. How many of you in the room remember the classic written by Robert Louis Stevenson called Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde? Raise them high if you remember. 88 pages, short book, packed a powerful punch. The book has two characters but one man. Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Mr. Hyde is the man that emerges after the potion is taken. I'll explain that in a moment. Dr. Jekyll is the primary character, the essential man. And he's a man that was unhappy with life and he tells us why. He says, every day I drew steadily nearer to that truth that man is not truly one but two. I saw the primitive duality of man. I saw the two natures contending in the field of my consciousness. If I rightly said to be either, it was because I was actually practically both. Now what's he saying? He's saying there is a radical duality in man, in everyone. And it made him ever increasingly unhappy because he said, my body, my my shell serves as a battleground for these two selves. And he said, I I don't see any victory in this. At the end, life is a dead end. And I'm very tired and I'm very weary. He called himself the incongruous compound. Incongruous means uh, something that is not in harmony within a compound, dual. So there's two guys, two somethings happening inside him that aren't in harmony with each other. And he said, because of that, it happens in all of us, nobody can truly be happy. Because you have the virtuous self that respects the law, acknowledges the law, morality. whether you believe in the Bible or not, everybody has a, a moral code. There's the virtuous self who believes in the moral code, respects the moral code, tries to adhere to the moral code. But on the other hand, there's also the evil narcissist self. That wants to go against the law, that hates the law, that wants to do what they want to do when they want to do it. And so he said, the only way I see out of this is somehow both of these identities could be housed in different shells. That's what the book is about. So let's help ourselves out understand this a little bit. We've got the two natures here, okay? Everybody has this inside you, according to Stevenson. You've got you've got the happy self here. This is the virtuous self, likes the law, respects the law and its authority, and actually wants to do the good. He wants to be a truth teller, wants to, to, to be righteous, wants to be pure, wants to do the good thing. But then you've got the evil self, and that evil self hates law. It's not, he's narcissistic. He's selfish. He does things for his own selfish ambition. He uses people and things for his own narcissistic means, his own way to achieve what he ultimately wants to achieve. Now here's what Stevenson says is every single person in this room has both inside you and not one, one is not more you than the other, both of these are you. Now that's what he says, wouldn't it be great if you could separate them and this guy could go his way and this guy could go his way, then he said if you could do that they would both live happy lives because this guy wouldn't be restrained by the evil temptations of this guy. And this guy wouldn't feel the guilt and shame and conviction associated with the virtuous self. So, what does he do in the book? He comes up with a potion. You drink the potion, and it separates the two. And he becomes, Dr. Jekyll becomes Mr. Hyde. But what does he realize? He realizes that although he knew he had a sense of evil inside him, he had no idea to what degree that evil really was. And he says in the book, he says, This being was inherently maligned. His every act and every thought centered completely on himself. There were no redeeming qualities. He was totally narcissistic, self-serving, nothing good about him. If you have trouble imagining this kind of person, just think of the letters (laughs) C-A-T. Tell me when you see that picture, the first thing that doesn't come into your mind is arrogance. Ultimate manipulator. I've got illustrations that I could use now. There, there's a cat in my house, but I'll refrain. I'll restrain, okay? For all you cat people out there, you sick, sad people. So the book, <laughs> the book says that Edward Hyde was the only unmixed human on the face of the earth. And when you met him, your skin would crawl. So somebody like a Hannibal Lecter. I never saw the movie Silence of the Lambs, but I read the book. And Hannibal Lecter was that kind of person. Unmixed, unmixed self-aggrandizement. Self-absorption, completely narcissistic, no redeeming qualities with no concern about anyone or anyone else, anyone or anything else. Imagine if you came across a person like that, what they would look like. Now, if you know anything about Stevenson's book, you'll remember that although he knew he had the evil self, he had no idea, first of all, how evil he really was. And in the book, the moment he swallows the potion to become Mr. Hyde, He says, I knew myself at the first breath of this new life to be much more wicked, tenfold more wicked, sold a slave to original sin and the thought delighted me like wine. And in the end of the book, what does he learn? That this self is more powerful than this self. And if this self is unleashed, he will totally dominate and do away with the virtuous self. Having just reminisce about an old classic let's read the bible for a second and tell me if you think this doesn't sound incredibly similar romans 7 verse 14 the apostle paul says this we know the law spiritual but i am unspiritual sold as a slave to sin i do not understand what i do for what i want to do i do not do but what i hate i do and if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good, as it is no longer or it is as it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, then, but it is sin living in me. For I know that the good itself does not dwell in me, that is in my sinful nature, for I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. So I find this law at work. Although I want to to do good, evil is right with me. For in my innermost being, or in my inner being, I delight in God's law. But I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now. Does that sound a little bit like Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde? You know, I could do a year series on Romans 7, but I don't have that. I've got about 30 minutes. Do you know that Robert Louis Stevenson, who wrote Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde, was a staunch Presbyterian? And that Romans 7 influenced the book? That there was this dichotomy within him that he could never solve? And the thing that hit him the hardest was that the bad self in every single one of us. It's far worse than any of us could ever imagine. Go back to Silence of the Lambs for a moment. Think about the culture we live in. Now, you've got to stay with me on this because we're going to pull different pieces and then in the end it's like, wow, I got it now, okay? Silence of the Lambs. If you know anything about American society, we go to college, we go to university, and there are these defense mechanisms of how we try to hide the evil in our own lives. Notice in the book, it's Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hide, it's spelled with a Y, but there's a metaphor here. Hide, because the Mr. Hyde hides. And you don't know how evil he is until you're put in a specific situation whereby he comes out and you end up doing something that shocks yourself. <laughs> he's just been dormant, but now he's alive. The intellectual constructs that we learn in college and glean from talk show hosts and all the psycho babble basically tells us this, that man is basically good, and if you see somebody doing something evil, it's because something weird happened to them in their childhood. Their mommy said something bad, or their father was mean to them, and they tell you that what we need to do is take people and educate them, and if we educate them, then they'll become good people. D.L. Moody, the famous preacher, said, it is my experience that if you take a man who's stealing railway tracks and give him an education, he'll steal the whole railway. (laughs) It's not just a problem of education. In the book, Silence of the Lambs, Hannibal Lecter is interviewed by Officer Starling, an FBI intern. She's trying to solve the case. Anthony Hopkins in the movie plays the part of Hannibal Lecter, just, uh, just a horrible, narcissistic, serial killing, brutal, animalistic type person. The evil has come out, and he says something to Starling that makes her stomach turn, and she says to him, as she looks and turns, what must have happened to you to make you so twisted, the twisted person that you've become? And His response is classic. He says, why? Nothing happened to me, Officer Starling. I happened. You can't reduce me to a set of influences. Why, you've given up on good and evil for behaviorism, Officer Starling. You've got everybody in moral dignity pants. Nothing is ever anybody's fault. Look at me, Officer Starling. Can you stand to say that I'm evil? He recognizes Officer Starling and the psychobabble that she's reiterating and her, her defense mechanisms that are incredibly self-serving, paternalistic, even patronizing. She doesn't want to admit that evil's real because if she admits that evil's real, she'd have to admit that maybe that evil's in her too. He sees that and responds and says, Look at me, look at me, I happen. You no longer believe in good and evil because you're silly. You're trying to reduce me to a set of influences. But if you believe in good and evil at all, he says, at all, then you have to recognize that I am evil. And if you recognize that I'm evil, not because my mother did something bad to me, but because everyone has this inside them, then you're going to have to agree that the same evil that's in me is in you, and you're just hiding from them. Is this the gospel? Yes and no. Yes and no. The first battle every man has to face, if they ever hope to be renovated from the inside out, every woman has to face, is that there is a duality in you. and You think that your true nature is winning and you think ultimately it will win, but I'm telling you, there's going to come a time in your life when you're going to put it in the wrong situation at the wrong time and this dude's going to come out and you're going to realize how truly evil we are. The Bible says there's no one righteous. No, not one. And you just hope and pray that that situation that perfectly suits the Mr. Hyde in you never eventuates. Otherwise, otherwise, in a real way, folks, the only difference between those of us who are behind bars and those who aren't is those who aren't haven't faced that time that's suitable to Mr. Hyde yet. To when he comes out and you end up doing something you never thought you would do. Come on, let's be honest. If we've got the virtuous self who respects the law and we've got the narcissistic self who wants to run from the law and don't, doesn't want any parameters, okay, what about our virtuous self? If the virtuous self respects the law, does he keep it? No. You still, you take things that don't belong to you even though you know that it's a command that you shouldn't still. You destroy reputations of other people by gossip and slander even though you agree that the law is good and you shouldn't gossip and slander. You don't forgive even though you know that forgiveness is good. You covet even though you think that you should be content with what God gives you. And some of you live in addictions that you know are unholy and it's killing your body and soul. There are many of you that know the law. You know it. You actually respect it as an authority. But you don't keep it. You don't keep it perfectly for sure. And there are times in your life when you just totally ignore it. Well, what happens? Because you're a constant contradiction. And if you ever hope to be renovated from the inside out, the first thing you got to do is admit that you've got the good and the evil in you, and they're both equally you, and one is stronger actually than the other. And it's not this guy, it's this guy. So much so that this guy actually influenced the virtuous self. Now, herein lies the problem with the law. Stay with me, stay with me. The law is not going to help you win this battle. All the law does is tell you and show you how, fa- how, how dirty your face is. It's not going to help you overcome just because you know the law. Paul says as much in Romans 7, now I'm in verse 8 and 9. He says, but sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, produced in me every kind of coveting. For apart from the law, sin was dead. Once I was alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin sprang to life and I died. Now what on earth does he mean by that? He says, man, I used to be alive until the commandment came then I died. (laughs) Is he saying, well, I had a pretty good life until somebody came along and taught me the 10 commandments. Well, that's ridiculous because Paul was raised in a very devout home. There would have never been a time he didn't know the 10 commandments from the time he could read and speak. He would have known the 10 commandments. So what's he saying here? What's he saying? I was alive apart from the law, but then the commandment came. He's saying I was alive, really alive when I thought under the law, I was faultless, but then I realized how deep the commandments go. And then I realized I'm dead in the water that it's not merely committing murder that is offensive to the law, but having murderous thoughts. It's not only committing adultery, but having adulterous thoughts. And Jesus said the same thing in Matthew chapter 5. You've heard that it was said among the people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who's angry with his brother or sister will be subject to judgment. You have the same emotions in you, anger, that lead a murderer to murder. He says, you've heard it said, Uh, verse 28, 27 rather. You shall not commit adultery, but I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with their heart. The same lustful feelings that lead somebody to commit adultery are in your heart as well. That's a violation of the spirit of the law, not just the letter. So He says in verse 9, once I was alive apart from the law. When I didn't really know how deep the law went, I was alive. (laughs) But when the commandment came, somebody instructed me the depth of the commandments, then sin sprang to life and I died. You know, There's a real way in which the law actually doesn't help this guy, it actually aggravates this guy. Augustine tells the story of seeing apples over in an orchard and he went, jumped the fence, got an apple. Not because he was hungry, not because he wanted an apple, but because there was a sign that said, you can't jump the fence and have an apple. There's a part in which the law just aggravates this thing in us. No one's going to tell me what to do. Even the virtuous self is impacted by the narcissistic self. But there's something else here, and it's the final thing you have to see before we move on and say, okay, how, do, how, are we, how are we going to win this battle? Paul mentions specifically in verse 8 the sin of coveting. He says, But sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, produced in me every kind of coveting. Why does he mention coveting? That's the 10th, that's the last commandment. Why does he mention that one other than the other nine? What is coveting? Coveting is simply wanting something more than you want God. It means to idolatrously covet or want something. It means to inordinately want something. And it is the essence of all sin. Coveting is wanting anything more than God. There's something other than God and his love and his acceptance, his provision, his salvation that you've got to have before you can ultimately be happy. Now listen, listen. When I was in New Zealand, I met a pastor by the name of John Fulford who was from South Africa. He had been preaching for 25 plus years. When I arrived on the scene, he said, thank God you're here and your team. We need fresh blood. And over time, I got to know John, a great man. And one day, we were seated, seated around his living room having a cup of tea or whatever, coffee. And, and we asked John, John, you, you preached for 25 years. Why did you stop? Because he wasn't preaching anymore. And here's what he said to me. He said, because I just got to the point where I felt no one was listening. Now, in the past seven years, I've stated this over and over and over. And it's, it's the thing that if you hear nothing from me, then you, the, the entirety of your life, that you remember Jeff Vines told you this. And it's this. You and I use God to get our idols. We often do not pursue God for the sake of knowing God. We just want to get God on our side so that he can help us get what we really want. The job or the girl or the guy. You with me? We don't pursue God for the sake of relationship with God. There's just this part of the virtuous self that wants to make sure God's on his side so that God will fight his battles, and that God will give him what his heart desires. In other words, we don't pursue God for God to give us our heart's desires. We pursue God to get the things that we think our heart desires and ultimately satisfy. Money, people, possessions, whatever it is. Now, something happened in the life of Paul that caused him to write this Romans 7. And part of that is this. When Paul had his experience on the road to Damascus, he heard a voice that said, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me. Now, if if Paul could have spoken, he would have probably said, I'm not persecuting you, God. I'm protecting you from those horrible people who don't keep the law. And how would Jesus have responded? Later on, we know because he talks about it in Philippians. Jesus would have said to Paul, no, no, no. All your morality, all your virtuous activity is your way of trying to get out from underneath me as savior. You're trying to save yourself. See, Paul had become a coveter. He was coveting the law and to be righteous under it. He wanted it so bad. He spent every day trying to be good. Why? So that he didn't have to depend on somebody else's savior. He could save himself and be in total control. See, religion does not get you closer to God but further away. Do you understand that? See, wait, wait, wait. no, I don't, Jeff. Okay, let me help you. In religion, you're not moving toward God, you're moving away from him. Because religion tells you, be virtuous, be good, keep these laws, do these good things, and God will accept you. Well, the more you try to do that, the more you're not needing God. So the more you're growing away from God. Any religion that tells you, do this, do that, go to this, travel here, do these five things, face this way, those are things that give you control over your own salvation. Paul said, I love the law so much that I coveted it. I want to be be so righteous that God has to receive me. And then one day it dawned on him, he's dead in the water when it comes to the law because the spirit of the law no man can keep. So the first battle that you have to conquer is that you have to understand there are two of you. The virtuous one, the narcissistic one, and they are both equally you. Both of them. The virtuous one is self-serving even though he tries to be virtuous and he overestimates his own goodness and he often keeps the letter of the law without the spirit of the law and the selfish narcissistic one well he just wants to do as much evil as he can and get away from the law now how do you win this battle you can't you can't mr Hyde's too strong there's no one righteous, no, not one. You'll take two steps forward, three steps back. You may win some battles, but you're gonna end up losing the war. And that's why I'm most that's why many of you in the room right now are feeling this. Yeah, man, I've never I've never been successful in that battle. So you hide. You live in denial.
0: You've been listening to today with Jeff Vines. Thanks for joining us. Next time, we'll bring you the rest of this message from Pastor Jeff.
1: Any religion that tells you, do this, do that, go to this, travel here, do these five things. Those are things that give you control over your own salvation. Paul said, I love the law so much that I coveted. I wanna be so righteous that God has to receive me. And then one day it dawned on him, he's dead in the water when it comes to the law because the spirit of the law, no man can keep.
0: You can listen to more messages like this. Just search for Today with Jeff Vines wherever you get your podcasts. You make me want to dance and sing With every single breath I'm free I will break this offering You are my wonder, you make the
1: wonder Today.
0: Today. Today.